0: This is the ARBT Podcast uh, episode with TJ McBride, uh, writer for the Denver Nuggets, great follow on Twitter. Um, So I think today we're going to talk about basically the same thing we've been following. I I think we're going to talk about something a little bit different this year, this episode, which is um, just like more of a macro look at the Nuggets and the NBA as a whole, because the Nuggets do have a lot of, they have a lot of young pieces right now. And they have a lot of good guys on really good contracts, but they, Jokic, and probably no, probably Jokic and Garris are coming up soon, free agency next year, and it could get this team could get really expensive really fast. So, um, just what do you net for next year? What do you think that what what do you think the Nuggets' record will be? And do you think that they can actually make a splash in the playoffs?
1: So record one is hard to say because it looks like they still have some things to kind of clean up on their roster with their glut of power forwards right now, and they also have quite a bit to figure out in the point guard position too. No one's really sure if they're prepared to go into the season with Jamal Murray, Emmanuel Moutier, and um, uh, Jameer Nelson on the roster. So that brings up a lot of interesting questions about if they're going to be continually trying to make some trades to be able to clean up this roster before the season starts. When it comes to looking at the salary cap and looking down the line for the next couple years, it really starts
0: with Gary Harris because yeah. he's extension eligible as of right now. So if the Nuggets wanted
1: to, before I believe it, like October thirteenth is the date. They have the ability to extend Gary Harris and be able to go in knowing that he is locked in for the for the next, you know, four or five years, depending on how that extension plays out. Nikola Jokic is a little bit of a different situation for sure because he is a a weird little wrinkle in his contract that makes it a little bit more complicated. Basically, he has a team option for next year for what is something like $1.3 million or something, which would yeah. make him arguably the greatest contract in the league right now for how much productivity you're getting out of that position. But if they decide to decline that team option, he can be a restricted free agent this coming offseason. So, of course, this next season finishes out in the offseason, begins again, if they don't and they pick up that team option, he is an unrestricted free agent at that point. So it's really paramount for the Nuggets to be able to decline that option and be able to sign up and restricted free agency and make sure they have no chance of losing him going forward.
0: Yeah, I think that that's what I I th- that's the best option I think because I mean in, in the short term that one point three million is gonna be it's gonna be an awesome deal like you said and it's really gonna help it's really gonna help pay for Gary Harris and some other ancillary free agents, but at some point you're gonna need to pay Jokic and you might just it's a good idea like it's a good idea to have power going into the nego- negotiations rather than letting going going go unrestricted because i mean the the super i mean i'm i don't, he might make an all nba team next year i mean i'm not be- counting on it but i think if he does make an all nba team then that we can offer him the supermax but as we saw this past summer the supermax i mean with gordon hayward it didn't really convince him enough to stay i think that that could i think that that should scare the nuggets a lot because I mean he was a oh you go a big part to do with that that super max is the fact that
1: they were real, Utah was worried about being tapped out as well. And that's the same thing with Paul Mills. They an all NBA team. But even just giving him the match the teams are so worried about their cap state down the line with the free agents that are going to be coming into availability from 2018 on that teams are really nervous just to even give that money out to anybody, regardless of the benefit that it gives them. So it really hasn't played out in the way that the league wants it to yet. So that, those supermaxes are interesting. Yeah. Jokic seems to really like Denver, and he's got a guy who's going to go try and run away to, you know, somewhere like Atlanta or New York or Los Angeles. So that definitely gives Denver an interesting situation where if they got Kyrie Irving, let's say, in a trade and they wanted to be able to keep past base to go get another star free agency, they could pick up that option and hope that they that kids will be true to them and stick with them and be able to go use that money elsewhere for a year as well. There's yeah. a lot of interesting ways that we'll be able to navigate that cap space market the next couple of years to be able to do a lot of different things that they see so fit.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of... What's so, what's so different about this team going forward I think it's going to be really interesting to follow is that outside of Jamal Murray, a lot of their top guys weren't really drafted highly. I mean, Gary, I think was he, he was either the 16th or the 19th pick. Um, and Jokic was a second rounder. I think that they, I think that they can play with this space in a lot of interesting ways because they don't have to pay their guys a lot right now. And I think that they could really, I think that extending Gary would go a long way to keeping Jokic because they seem to have just otherworldly chemistry on the court. And I think that that would really, that would really show him that we're committed to him in the long term. Which I mean, I think he already knows that, but I think it would just really, really reinforce that idea. Um, yeah, it's important to say that. If you look at the way that the nuggets have approached the Kyrie Irving trade, and
1: there hasn't been any concrete evidence, but from what I've gathered is that they're not willing to send Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. And with the Cavaliers looking at Jamal Murray as a potential cornerstone of a trade, it really seems like Denver values Gary Harris's partnering with Kyrie a lot, and that it's almost given made them more willing to talk about Jamal Murray potentially in deals as opposed to Gary Harris. Yeah. So they really do value him extremely high.
0: Yeah, and they should. I mean, they—he's improved every year since he came here. He's really, he's really been a great player for them. Um, but this year, just this year, which player do you think needs to step up to give the Nuggets a real shot at making some kind of noise in the postseason?
1: next year, I think it's a mix between Emmanuel Moutier and Will Barton. Um, I don't, I'm not under the impression that the Nuggets are looking to go into the season with Jameer Nelson as their starting point guard. Yeah. I feel like they're looking to contend and I'm not sure if Jameer Nelson really fits that bill for what they're trying to do especially defensively. So I'm not sure if you're going to see Jameer Nelson on this team come day one. That is speculation, but it does seem pretty plausible if he won't be here. That puts Emmanuel Moutier back in the lineup for, for reserve point Position. So he needs to prove that he has actually gotten better this offseason and has actually improved and handled and learned to play on-ball defense and off-ball defense more fundamentally sound. And then Will Barton, because Wilson Chandler is the only small forward on the roster. I mean, outside of Juancho Hernan Gomez, it doesn't look like he is completely ready to play 20 minutes tonight. You need Will Barton to play, not just yeah. shooting guard minutes and potentially have some ball handling, but play a of small forward as well.
0: Yeah, they, they, that, was the, that was my one knock from this offseason was they went after too many power forwards and they kind of forgot the small forward position. And, I mean, like you said, Wancho's he good down the line, but I don't think he's ready for the three yet. Um, I think I think what you said about Moutier, I think that's true. I, I mean, in the NBA-Africa game, I mean, there's not a lot to go on there, but his shot looks a little bit better. The only thing is he really just – he. I don't think he fully understands how talented, like how just freakish physically he is because he's really strong. He's 6'5". And he's still a freak athlete. I think he could if he could learn to use his athleticism to his advantage like a Marcus Smart or someone like that. I think that he could really be a special player down the line for the Nuggets.
1: Absolutely, and I've talked in the BSN Nugget podcast that I do, but I co-host who has learned a lot about that. And the thing about Moutier is that they haven't played any lineups that have really played to his strengths. They've actually played lineups that have directly played to his weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, when he first came into the league, it was Kenneth Farid and Yusef Nurkic paint-bound bigs that he was forced to play with as a non-shooter. I mean, that's three non-shooters at the floor at the same time, allowing almost no room for him to operate. And then you come into the, to the beginning of last season, it's Jokic and Nurkic playing together and Moody starting. And again, two very big paint dominant things to a degree and well both can move around. Having the two guys that size around the rim just takes away so much space. If they are able to play shooters around him with the guy who can roll to the rim better, you could really see a much better Emmanuel Moody. And that's something that
0: you can look forward to next yeah. year
1: is it seems like they figured out how to play to his strength more than they have in years past. That could really be a big thing for him going forward.
0: Yeah, I think that he really he... I, like what you said, that I mean, when he was playing with Nurkic and Jokic, he had no room to operate, and it just made him look terrible. I also think that if I, I think I think that he needs to play with, not with I think he needs to play with Gary and maybe Wancho. I think that those would be the best players to play for him to play with, just off ball guys who can hit threes and really open up space for him, because. He he definitely needs a ball in his hands, and he has really great court vision when he has some space and room to operate. I think that they could really, really like max out what he can do at this point if he plays just with a lot of shooting, with a, guy, a lot of guys who can shoot, like maybe Drell Arthur and maybe even Millsap. I think that that would just be the best possible use for him. And what you said about absolutely. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, what you said about Will Barton, I think he also, if he needs, if he's going to play the three, I think his defense just needs to improve because, I mean, he can get away a little bit more playing, playing the two and defending smaller and defending guys because he's just such a freak. He's such a great athlete and he has, he's so long. I think that he can really, he doesn't have to try as hard, but I think if he's going to play a little bit of the three and really shore up some of the weaknesses there, he definitely needs to get better as an on-ball defender and really stay focused off the ball.
1: Will Barton be solid on ball before for stretches? And He has the drive to want to be that guy. And if there's one player who I've talked to, and multiple players and people around the team, that has always been in the gym, the guy who's always working, it's Will Barton. I mean, he still proclaims himself a baller because all he does is play basketball. So he's a guy that you could see that kind of progression out of, and a guy that could really become a small forward and be able to work for those minutes because if he gets stronger and is able to use his body in that way and that length and mm. that athleticism he can really make some things interesting and the part you've up about Moody, about him being athletic and the way that he can play to a shooting I think what's really important is that you need another facilitator with him too because his handles are just not there yet yeah. he is not able to deal with NBA level pressure he is not able to get by guys at will like he was able to against inferior talent so to have a secondary facilitator like when he played alongside Young I'm not saying he's the only parent with the OKC. It's unrealistic to say so. But even Mason Plumlee is a good good facilitator. I mean, Trey Lyles is a good shooter and a guy who can swing the ball around the the perimeter. There's ways you can build lineups around him that allow him to play the secondary action kind of guy and be able to kick off of drives and catch cuts and show off that athleticism. Because the second that he has to dribble, his shot looks awful and he is no longer able to use that athleticism the way that he should. The second you let him play off ball, he becomes a much more dynamic player, if you ask me right now.
0: Yeah, if he plays off if if he plays off ball, I think he could be he could be used, utilized really well. And I think that also with him, I think he it's, his weaknesses definitely have been have shown a lot through the, like the last couple of years. I think that's a lot a lot because teams don't have to respect his three. I mean, he's the, he's one of the worst shooters in the league, and he really hasn't shown much improvement since he entered. And the guys can just sag off him a ton and. He, he he just he, I think he's too young to really understand how to utilize his strength. Like I said, and just drive in a lane and try to get fouls. I think he just I I don't know. I think there's just something weird with his game. Every time he tries to drive the ball, it just looks it just looks weird when when you're watching it.
1: You have to remember, I mean, he played high school basketball at a preparatory school that never actually existed to a degree because there was a like, he got scammed along with other players.
0: Oh, yeah. And then he went straight yeah. to China and, didn't, and got no college experience whatsoever
1: and only played 12 games in China because he hurt his ankle. So between the starting his first game in the NBA and preseason against Chris Paul and finishing high school, he only had 12 games in China. Wow. And that is not fair. You talk about throwing somebody to the fire. I mean, there is no opportunity for him to flourish at that point. Yeah. So he was looked at as a guy who could be a savior and never got a chance to be so. So now you've got to let him develop. Now you got to play him off ball. And when it comes to his shot, you're right, teams do go under. But when he catches the ball and shoots on just pure catching shoot numbers, he's doing
0: like 35% from three. Yeah. He's able to put
1: together a good looking shot when there's no triple leaning into it. He's just not able to deal with the NBA level pressure defensively yet, which 100% to do with his handle, Not his form, not the way that he get extension on the ball. I mean, it doesn't look pretty, and there's a lot of flaws with it. But he can put the ball in the net when he needs to, and he is able just to fluidly
0: take a shot. Yeah, and I was actually looking at his shooting stats, and he's when he when he catches the ball and there's a defender like uh, two to four feet away, he actually shoots around 39% a game, and he takes a he yeah. takes one or two he takes one or two. So I think if we could really if the, if Malone can really give him a defined role for now, a really narrow role, just as an off ball guy who can hit threes and just attack closeouts. I think that that would be something, I mean, it it would be something interesting to watch. I don't know if it would work as, I don't think it would work incredibly well, but I think it would definitely, he would, he would definitely thrive in that role for now. I think that
1: Well, he was great offensively at the end of the last year alongside Mason Plumley, because Mason Plumley is a guy who is a playmaker and he was able to push the ball off the court and be another facilitator on the court and then he's a great rim roller. So if you have a guy who doesn't want to roll the rim hard and be vertically more more apt than a lot of people on the court you have a you have a lot of threat you have a guy to take and roll threat for you and a guy that can take the pressure off playmaking wise as long as you add three shooters around those two you're able to put together a pretty competent offense on the bench that's what I think
0: yeah I think that if they could let I, th- I think that what you said with him Plumlee I think that he could really command he could really lead some good second units and. the Good second units right now. I don't think he's a starter yet, but I think that he could really, him and Plumlee could be really dangerous and off the bench and really provide a good, a good punch after the starters go out. Yeah, I would be staggered
1: if he was anywhere near the starting lineup to start next year, it's either Jamal Murray or Javon Nelson in the line I would be absolutely blown away if I'm the of starts next year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and and moving on and starters following the trend of like the breakout guys. Um, are there anyone, Is there anyone around the NBA who, who you think is primed for a breakout season this year, like a Rodney Hood or um, maybe even a Jamal Murray? Ooh, you're putting me on the spot with that. Let me think for a second.
1: Um, I think a guy that you could really see explode onto the scene, I think DeJounte Murray is going sh- to show a lot next year. I think on the Spurs, I think you're going to see a much better point guard with that kind of defensive length. I think you're going to see him, and Popovich is going to turn him into some defensive mastermind with that ability. And you're going to see it just an absolutely lethal off-ball point guard that can play alongside Kawhi Leonard, especially yeah. if it's going to take some time for Tony Parker to get back. Uh, I think Kelly Oubre is a guy that will blow up on the scene next year as well. His defensive ability on the perimeter and his size and his shooting, you're just looking for guys like that nowadays. And any kind of versatile wings like that are always so helpful.
0: Um, yeah, man. I'm trying to think of
1: anybody else. Patrick Patterson gonna look great in Oklahoma City as well. Pat, Pat's gonna be awesome. Yeah, I but all, s- top of my head. Those are just random guys that kind of came
0: into my head. Yeah, I think that what you said about Patterson. I think that he could really that team. That team last year was a top five defensive unit, and I think with Paul George and Patterson, it could be. It could be one of the best defenses in the NBA over the last couple of years. It just looks... I mean, they, you, Rob, Robertson and Paul George look like they're going to be a terror on the wings. And then if you have Patterson and Steven Adams, that could just be... I think that that team could be really difficult to beat. I think that it would be... The Thunder are going to look... The Thunder are going to have a chance any given night to beat anyone, which is pretty dangerous. Yeah, I think
1: that... Yeah, they're, they're more prepared to defend the Warriors than any other team in basketball I mean they, they can they can switch anything and this is the thing Russell Westbrook is not going to be shouldering most of the duties offensively anymore when he needs a break he's going to be able to defer to Paul George who can do things off ball or on ball I mean Paul George is the perfect guy to put alongside yeah. Russell Westbrook if you ask me and I really think you can see a much more defensively inspired Russell Westbrook this year which that should be a terror for anybody who covers the NBA but anybody who's a really ultra in basketball, Patrick Patterson might be the most unheralded, underrated, like yeah. great signing of this past free agency
0: period. Yeah,
1: he might really be the point that really kind of solidifies that team to be able to be a contender in the Western Conference. I'm just saying, so much nowadays.
0: Yeah, Patterson really—he's one of the—he's always near the top of the list and all the box plus minus stuff. He's—he just—he's in that contract was pretty incredible given his value. Um, I think that what you said about Westbrook, he really made his name at UCLA for defense. He was never, when he came into the league, he was known as defensive guy who really just needed to develop offensively. And I think that he could tap into some of that stuff he had in college and just really explode. And that team could be impossible to score against.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then another guy that I just came into my head, Clint Capella in Houston, is going to be just a absolute terror. I mean, if you have James Harden even remotely dedicated to defense alongside Trevor Ariza and Chris Paul, and you start funneling everything down to Clint Capella and insert power forward here, like that is just going to be so fun. And there's a wild threat for Chris Paul and James Harden. Clint Capella might win Most Improved Player of the Year next year. Like he is going would be so
0: much fun to watch with that team. Yeah, he will always have he always have one of those point guards on the floor. Who can just give the ball to he can just lob the ball to him every possession. That's gonna be really crazy to watch. What do you think he do you think What do you think he, he's gonna average scoring wise next year?
1: Twenty. Yeah. I think Quick Capello could be a guy that you see like, average like 14, 12, and then like two block shots a game. Like, you look at him the way DeAndre Jordan put up numbers. Like, he'll have big games every reflect in a while, but he is more just to play off of James Harden and Chris Paul. Like, he'll feast on some offensive rebound games and put up some 27 and 12 kind of games, but I think you see him average like 14, 12, and 2 with two block shots. All
0: right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I've I seen a lot of people on Twitter, like, there a lot of people are. Putting shoeing the Jazz in for a playoff spot next year, even with that, even with the loss of Gordon Hayward and how yes. how unhealthy they yes, are. Utah you, you wait, you're you're one of the people who believes that? I do.
1: I think this Utah Jazz team is still going to be a top-five defensive unit in basketball. Like The way that they were able to mitigate the loss of Gordon Hayward on the perimeter defense was just a stroke of mastery. I mean, they would have got Damari Carroll, who has connections to the coaching staff there, to the guy who could really resurrect his career, and he can defend multiple, multiple positions still. It's not like he just fell off the earth. He was injured for a couple of years. You still have Gobert down low, who is just he is the best defensive center in basketball, whether you want to put Draymond Green in that conversation or not. He may not be as impactful at multiple positions, but as a center, there is nobody more impactful than Rudy Gobert. And then you have Ricky Rubio up top, who is still going to be an elite perimeter defender at the point guard, who can defend multiple positions. I I think the team is going to be really good. I think you can see the team make a case for a six or a seven seed. And I'm really excited to see the revolution of Rudy Gobert as a main offensive player in this offense see what he can do with a big primary scoring role. So I'm really, really excited to see how you top able to bounce back. All
0: right, all right. Um I can see I can see Gobert really developing into a twenty into like a sixteen to like 15 days, 15 to 18 points a game score, which would be pretty incredible to watch. Um, but I think the big thing there is just injuries. They have over the last couple of years, they've just been des- decimated every t- every season by injuries. And I mean, I think that it, that could really play a factor because it, you can be as good as you want, but if you're not healthy, you're going to have some problems. And I think that another problem could be just like just someone creating the ball, just someone creating shots because. Gordon Hayward really took the brunt of that offensive responsibility. And I just don't... I mean, you you made a point about Gobert. I don't know if he has that right now. And I think that Ricky Rubio's never been that. And I think that they're just going to have a lot of problems. They're going to have some problems scoring the ball with such little spacing.
1: Well we forget that they have Joe Johnson, who might be the, one of the best clutch scorers of our generation. I mean, he has been a menace to where whatever he needs to get his shot in isolation, you can do so. And I'm a big believer in Romney Hood, so I'm always gonna be backing him. And just to get back on your Gobert point, he averaged fourteen a game last year, and he did so in only he did so in thirty four minutes a game, and he was very inefficient at that rate when he was taking anything outside of the paint. So if he even remotely you know, brings in a runner or is able to add even a six-foot jumper from the baseline. Anything like that, he is going to be a potential 18-point scorer a night. And he only took seven shots a game last year. So if you increase his workload, he is going to be somebody who could really see an offensive explosion because, I mean, his offensive rating last year was 129. Like, this dude is able to swing the ball. This dude is able to offensive rebound. This dude is able to dunk over anybody. And if he adds finesse outside of the restricted area, he is going to be a terror for teams
0: to deal with. But he only, like, like you said, he only. I think that he could be something special offensively. But I think that it's just a lot to put on after one season, because they lost, they lost uh, George Hill and Gordon Hayward, and those guys really created, really opened things up for Rudy Gobert, and they really helped it. I think they really gave him more opportunities to be that efficient. I think that if you really, I think if you increase his workload from seven shots a game to. 11 to 12 to 13 i think that he he might be able to maintain the same levels of, fi- of efficiency but i think that he would also face a lot of the issues with just more just guys more keying in on him and i think that his efficiency might drop but i don't know i think this is all hypothetical right now because I, I don't know i we up to this point i've really seen enough from gobert offensively to really warrant to really warrant 18 points a game but i don't know maybe he can do it
1: they will have the spacing, too, because they have Joe Ingles, they have Joe Johnson, they have Rodney Hood, they have guys who can space the floor. If we haven't even said the, the magic words of Donovan Mitchell yet, who it looks mm-hmm. like he is just going to be a monster. So oh. if you had the playmaking of Rudy Gobert, and you throw out there Rodney Hood at the two, Joe Johnson at the three, and be able to add anybody at the four who can spread the floor. I mean, Derek Sabres is a little bit. I you can create an offensive league honest enough offense to be able to make up for that defense because this defense is going to be legit
0: next year. Yeah, the defense, the defense is going to be great but the only problem I, I, I just I have a, a little bit of a problem with Rodney Hood because he's been injured so much and he really plateaued last year and I think that Joe Johnson's getting he's getting older and his game really his game was built to be this old but I don't know if he really can you really can warrant giving him a ton of minutes a game in the regular season. I don't know. It, it just looks... It looks like it could be great offensively, but it also could fall apart pretty easily. I think that it's just... There's a pretty large swing there. I think... It, I'm just not ready to buy into Jazz as a six seed yet. Six That's seven. where I'm at with Memphis right now. I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm trusting the structure of that team right now. Yeah. Where their depth is at.
1: And with the possible mark soul anger that is apparently coming to fruition right now.
0: Yeah, I just... That, that team has always been able to get by with Conley against, Conley against Saul just just, short, just being one of the best two-man duos in the league, but I don't know. I think that they lost Randolph, they lost Tony Allen, who is arguably their best defender, even at 35. And Jermichael, that the Jamichael Green situation is still puzzling. He's really, he's their best weapon against a team like the Warriors, I think, because he's so switchy and he can hit threes and create a little bit. I think that that's going to be big, but that that team just looks really, really sketchy right now with Ben Mclemore and Wade Seldon expecting minutes and Chan- the corpse of Chandler Parsons. You're paying the corpse of Chandler did Parsons Tony, like ninety four million dollars. I'm sorry. Not that.
1: Uh, did, did Tony Allen sign somewhere? Did I miss that? I'm pretty sure he still is on tap to potentially go back to Memphis.
0: By the way. Oh, he he can, but he, it doesn't look it doesn't look good right now. He the wor- the vibe get that people are getting from him is that he's definitely he's out. They, I don't think they. Did they offer him? I don't think they did.
1: Well no no, he hasn't been offered anything, but this is the thing that no one has cast stays, so he might have end up going back on a minimum with them. He which, could. Is, which just seems like it's going to happen to quite a few different people right
0: now. I, he could do it, I don't know. I the the Memphis, Denver
1: should be throwing money at him. Right now 20, yeah. they bring in Tony Allen, play some small ball five with and no for Reed, let's get this thing going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tony
0: Allen <laughs> Tony Allen would be awesome here. I don't Play
1: them at, at, at sort of small ball three for defensive purposes. Like that'd be fun. That'd if be pretty
0: Shabbat great. guys that if the Denver Nuggets find a way to
1: trade a couple power forwards and bring back a center and renounce out Plumlee, that might be an interesting situation.
0: Yeah, they they just have a ton of. Then I guess just have a ton of ways to navigate this cap room. A lot of their assets. This is gonna be fun to see. Um, do you think? Do you think that Memphis is gonna make the playoffs though?
1: No, I don't, and I love Mike Connolly. like, I, I would put so much of the reason that I think that they could pull it off onto Mike Connolly and Marcus Soldiers just those two alone, but you just don't have anything past that. Like, I'm pulling up their depth chart right now, but that scene is really, really strapped, and they're relying a lot on the reemergence of Jamie Parsons, which I have absolutely no payment, yeah. but... I I just, I'm not sure if they're going to have enough to be able to really put anything together. Especially in this day and age of the Western Conference. I mean, this Western Conference is just so lethal from top to bottom. Because, I mean, their only other backup point guards, Mario Chalmers and Wade Baldwin, the fourth, who really didn't do much. Or even the Andrew Harrison, who literally doesn't understand what offense is. Like, they have trouble, and they don't have a whole lot of answers to it right now. Uh, I do like the Tyreek Evans signing, but I, I just don't
0: know. Yeah, that team just looks. I mean, they always seem to pull it off, but this year, they have so they have guys who probably shouldn't be even be in the NBA anymore. I mean, Wayne Seldon doesn't look like a hasn't looked like a legitimate NBA player. Wade Baldwin looked lost his first year. Uh, Mario Chalmers, I, I don't think I've seen anything from him since the, that Achilles injury. He hasn't played in the NBA. He didn't play in the NBA last year. Uh, I don't know that team just looks that team looks like it's going to fall apart if it's so fragile I don't know
1: yeah, and their shooting guard position is a huge question mark. And it's Wayne Selden Jr. You can try and play Tyreek Gavin's biggest shooting guard or Troy Daniels, who Google has as his NBA 2K or 2K picture on their damn website for it. So, like, you really don't even have anybody who are playing at the two position. And if you have the great playmaking of Mike Conley and Mark Gisseld, you have nobody to set up. What are you supposed to do with this? And they need a whole lot of strength from Chandler Parsons to be able to make a move, and I don't see that happening.
0: Yeah, yeah, that team just looks—it it looks like it's gonna fall apart. Um, but on, on a brighter note, are, are there any teams you, that you see are really gonna break out next year, like the anti Grizzlies?
1: I am so so excited to watch the Bucks next year. Yeah. I mean, how do you not get excited to watch the buck? I mean, first of all, Malcolm Brogdon is one of my absolute favorite emerging players there is. I mean, the dude just plays every, the, the, the game the right way. It's insane. And you add that with a returning Chris Middleton from injury, who is going to be able to finally have an offseason to get healthy and get strong again. And you get Tony Snell, who has been fallen out, and you get Javari Parker coming back from injury. That team could be a three seed in the East next year.
0: Wow. Yeah, I can, I can see. It. I mean, I've been watching, I've been watching a ton of Giannis' film because it's just so, it's so entertaining. Just the way he uses his body to really go anywhere he wants. I think that that team could be just super dangerous next year, and especially, especially if they get Kyrie. I think that that could be really special with him and in him and Giannis. That that'd be crazy. Where are you? Where do you fall in the Kyrie Irving situation?
1: Is there a certain team that you see as the head of it? Is there a deal that you feel
0: strongly about? Um, I really want to. I I don't see anyone that can actually like make him an offer that the Cavs would want. But I really want to see him on the Spurs or the Knicks. I think that that would just be really fun. E- either way.
1: And
0: which didn't excuse me without moving, um, think that would be a deal that would not result in Porzingis leaving. Curtis. Yeah, yeah. Because if if it's him and if it's Kyrie and let let's say Melo, that, that that's just that would be really terrible. But I think him and Porzingis would be one of the most interesting combinations of guys we've seen in a while. Uh, I think that I, I think that ultimately he's just going to go to the Suns. I think that the Suns are just going. to... I mean Josh Jackson. I I I get that they don't why they don't want to get rid of Josh Jackson because he's. He looks like he can be something really special, and he, his potential is sky high if he develops a jumper. But he also could be Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and I think I would I would definitely trade Michael Kidd-Gilchrist for Kyrie Irving if I could. Oh, yeah.
1: What do you think about Denver's situation? Wilson Chandler, protective first-round pick, Runner Herring-Gillard, and Jamal Murray?
0: I, I can see it. I can see it happening, but I, I don't really want it to. I mean, I get he would be a huge appeal. He would have huge appeal to the fans, which this team really needs because it's just it's been rough the last couple of years. But I also think that the fit with him and Jokic and Millsap is just it's awkward. And I think that he would really he, he would kind of kill a lot of the motion offense we've been running. I mean, I know he's a really great off ball player, but he's also he also has a tendency to be just a ball stopper every on every possession. I think that that could be a little bit of an issue.
1: Let me let, let me sway you to my side for a second here with Kyrie kind of All right. Think about it this way. Eliminate your wall okay, el- eliminate Emmanuel Moutier and Jameer Nelson minute at the point guard position and all of the shots they took and replace them with Kyrie Irving getting beaten down to force to be cut. Uh, Because Jokic and Millsap are going to make his life so unbelievably easy that he is going to score the most points in this team. He is going to be the star of the team. He is going to be the best player on the team. But he will get so many open looks at the rim with his elite ability to finish the rim. I mean, he's arguably the greatest spinner that we've seen in our generation, that's a rookie so talented. And if you give Jokic and Millsap ability at the post, to hit him at the cutter, which hit with his natural quickness, his ability to reset and hit threes, he could be a guy who scores twenty-five in Denver while Jokic and while Jokic and Millsap each average over five assists a night. Like, there is so many reasons that this offense could become significantly better with Kyrie in the fold as opposed to waiting it out and then sticking with Jamal Murray in the future of this team.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I, can, I, I like his fit offensively. It's just, I don't know. It's just it's a lot to give up for a one-dimensional player like him. I just, I'm a little torn on the Kyrie thing because like, I, I agree with what you said that he could he could really take off here and it would be really fun to see, but I don't know. I just... I don't think I would want to give up a guy like Chandler or Gary Harris or just anyone who plays any semblance of defense for Kyrie Irving. It just... This team is already bad enough defensively as it is, and it really and the defense really took them out of a lot of games, but I think that it could... I don't know. I'm just a little torn on it.
1: And that argument Absolutely exists, and in the deal, you would you would largely probably send for Reed as well, and take back Emran Schumberg's deal, and then you can go out and sign Shabazz or Tony Allen or something like that. My thought with it is that you can bring multiple stars to Denver, that would and you awesome. people want to show up to come play. You get also the advantage of him playing for Team USA, which might be the most free agent advantageous event there is in all of basketball, because usually every Team USA guy on the same team together nowadays they're all split up into like. Three- different teams and on top of that i mean if you're scoring 120 a night you can figure out the defense later i mean you, you find your star player and then you go re-add players around it you yeah. go find a small forward who is a straight defender you go try and trade for andre Roberson, and the just, of westbrook paul george fiasco does not come to fruition or something like that just do it you figure that stuff out later after getting Kyrie. it just gives you a legitimate you know, Milstead, Yoki, Terry Harris, and Kyrie record to be able to do whatever you need to and be able to sell
0: creations on that destination. Yeah, I actually think you convinced me. That seems like a really, I think that what you're saying is just take the Houston, what Houston did this this past off season, and just do the replicate it because they were terrible defensively last year but then they added Tucker and then Bamute and Paul. I think that that could be something really special. But do you think that Jokic, Millsap, and Irving would be the best three-headed monster we've had here? Oh, by far.
1: If you ask me, that is, that is significantly the best I, mean, I think Paul Gossam is the greatest free agent that Denver Nuggets have ever signed. Easily. I mean, this is the Easily. biggest free agent they have ever found a way to acquire. So I think if you add a 22-year-old, you know, pre-injury Arvidas Savonis to this team, basically, I mean, Jokic is a revolutionary offense. He's able to turn in an extremely mediocre and young offense into literally the number one offense in basketball since he became the starter and the focal point. Yeah. I mean, imagine what you can do with Paul Millsap passing, Kyrie Irving finishing and shooting, and then insert defenders here on the wing and be able to make it work. I mean, look at how the Warriors were able to look at Aubrey Caspi for nothing. Aubrey Caspi would shoot 42% three from here and defend multiple positions. You can find guys like that, you can make Denver a team that maybe not be a contender to the Warriors, but is in the conversation for the next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's just, I think that that's the next step. It's just how do we get to the next tier and i think that what you said with just acquiring a ha- having a lead guard like that like Ky- on kyrie's level or just doing what kyrie does almost as good as he does i think that that's i think that that's the next level because i mean this milsab is milsab is a good good scoring option and so is jokic but i don't think either one i don't think i'm going to rely on either one of them to score in the final in the final minutes of the game and if you remember last year, that's where the Nuggets lost a lot of games is they just couldn't figure out a way to... They would just fall apart in the last couple of minutes. I think if we got Kyrie or someone like that, then I think that a lot of those issues would kind of fade away. That would change everything, especially if you make the playoffs. We're a team that is
1: just poisoned with the notion of one and done in the playoffs. Like Kyrie Irving will not be a guy that will let you go one and done in the playoffs. You give Kyrie Irving the kind of talent around him, you give the half court the ability to produce offense in what Arturis so Sobit expects to be quote unquote easy with Paul Millsap and Jokic in the fold. And you can you should be able to score with anybody in any situation regardless of what's happening around you. There are just too many half court sets, too many isolation players, too many above average offensive players to not be able to produce offense at any given moment in
0: time. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a really good point. Um, do you think that Gary can take the next step to really become to really become a go-to scorer in the in the half court as a guard? I do. I've been very vocal about this, and
1: actually, like I started writing for BSN probably a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. But the first thing I wrote was how Gary Harris and Bradley Beal
0: could be very much sort of similar players, but Gary Harris could be more efficient. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to pull up
1: Bradley Beal's stats right now, but he Bradley Beal is a guy who came into the league as a bulldog defensive player, lights out three-point shooter who plays off-ball, and he was able to develop into a pick-and-roll threat as an initiator and a guy who can get his own shot. That's the last step is to get his own shot and be an above average pick and roll player that keeps Gary Harris from being in the class of shooting guard that is CJ McCollum and Bradley Field. And I really think you could see him take that leap because we saw like seven assist games from him at the end of last season where he was just shredding teams in the pick and roll and was able to be that guy who understands angles while playing because he's such a smart defender. But he's really translated that ability to understand angles to setting up teammates in a very good position to be able to score and be able to be able to be able Playmaker. I think you could see another big lead from Gary Harris again this year, especially with Paul Millsap
0: to the Yeah, and I think what's so what's so promising about him in the pick and roll is how good he is in, in the handoff situations with Jokic, with the dribble handoffs. I think that it's kind of it's not the, exactly the same motion, but it's a lot of the same mechanics. I think it's a lot of the same what what you're trying to accomplish is pretty similar. I think that that could be that could be something that I I want to watch just. I I think that he could really turn into a league guard for this team and that that would really take us to the next level especially if he can if he can really get better as a team defender I think that this team could be one of the most dangerous in the, in the west Yeah absolutely
1: I mean I'm looking at this team with Gary Harris, and I'm looking at a guy who could potentially average upwards of 18 points a game next year, and I really think that he is going to be that lethal. He was the most efficient shooting guard in all of basketball last year, between two-point and three-point possessions. I mean, this is a kid who is able to do almost anything, and and if he is able to develop a skill set to where he can play the pick-and-roll and be able to play off ball, that would change everything. Yeah. So you wouldn't even be worrying about Jamal Murray because you're looking at Gary Harris in the fold of Malcolm Brogdon at that point to where you just put him at the quote-unquote point guard position, let him just destroy point guards at the point of attack as a defender, and then be a guy who cuts off ball and is able to be a secondary facilitator. I mean, if Gary Harris is able to grow into that role and continue and continue shooting over 40% of 3, that makes Denver even more lethal. And that's something I haven't talked about in the I think it'd be very possible if Gary slowly, over the next two years, is able to turn himself into a good enough playmaker with the ball in his hands that he can start defending point guards and start as an off ball point guard alongside Jokic. That could be really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think he hasn't even reached his shooting, the top of his shooting potential, because I was looking at his shooting stats too, and he only shot 30% when he was uh, tightly covered. And I think that that. if, If that improves, I think he's definitely just one of the most dangerous options in the entire league. As an off ball player, we forgot
1: that he missed 20 of his first 21 games of the season due to injury, so he didn't even get going until later in the season. So yeah. imagine him with the fall off season to get stronger and quicker and faster and being able to come in, you know, ready to go in mid season shape and not having to recover from an injury. Gary Harris could explode from the scene.
0: I think he could explode. I also think that Malik Beasley could explode next year. I mean, he looked.
1: I just don't know if there gonna be minutes for him, man. I hope so,
0: but I just don't think there will be. I don't think there. W- I I think that he could definitely warrant minutes over Jameer Nelson. I mean, he just even in the last couple of games of the season last year against, I think Matt Dallas and someone else. He just looked. I mean, it was the last couple of games, but he looked like he was really he was really focused on on defense, and he really looked like he could hit threes and score a little bit. I think that that's what this team really needs just athletic 3 and D guys all over the court for Jokic and Millsap. That would be I think that that's definitely the optimal lineup with
1: so from knowing Malone personally, he is absolutely a guy who does not want to play three guys under the age of 22 at point guard and shooting guard. But our four guys, if so there's Gary Harris in there, like Jameer Nelson, if on this team will be a staple of his offense, you will not see Malik Beasley as that guy. He just does not trust the youth of that backcourt to be able to consistently produce for them. And it, it, it's a validation. I mean, Gary Harris, Malik Beasley, Emmanuel Moody and Jamal Murray are all under the age of 22 right now. So I would expect to see a lot
0: more Will Barton and a lot more Jermaine Nelson and a lot less Malik Beasley going in the next shooter. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I don't—if I was a coach, I, I wouldn't really trust a lot of those guys to run the offense. But I think I think that Beasley could be something down the road. I don't know what that is quite yet, but I think that, that he could be he could be something interesting to watch. Um, do you think that—what do, what do you think about the Mason Plumlee situation?
1: had to make a trade, so let's just start with the perspective of the situation when they made the trade. Yusef Nurkic was not just a nuisance to the coaching staff, but he had borderline given up and become a problem. He was a guy who had left a game in the middle of the yeah. game and had to be pulled back to the bench. He's a guy who was, would not talk to the media very often. When he was talking to the media, he wouldn't answer the question, but would immediately direct to the fact that he was not getting the playing time that he wanted when he was behind Jokic. So the Nuggets were caught in a bind, and teams knew that they had the levers. They knew that they had to the move them. They knew that the situation was had salad with the coaching staff. And this is not a representation of Nurkic as a person. Nurkic as a person was very well liked by all of his teammates, and Malone still has great things to say. It was just an attitude towards the situation in Denver in a basketball sense. So this isn't even a bad Nurkic dude kind of conversation. It's literally the situation of he was not getting the playing time he thought that he deserved in his situation. So Denver was strapped. They had no choice. They had to trade them. So what they did is they went out and got Mason Plumlee, a guy who was fourth in the sixth among seven in all of basketball at the time. And is a guy that could play make and a guy who would have athletic and a guy that could, that could potentially play some power forward alongside Jokic. So that deal in a nutshell makes sense. The part that hurts is that you traded in division and traded a first round pick. Yeah. Um, the reason that happens is because First of all, they traded on the sit, so they wanted Mason Plumley. It was a guy Tim Connolly had highly coveted for years now. So it was one of Connolly's guys he wanted to get, justifiably so, because he fits to sit the system that Denver was playing. But because of the situation that Nurkich had presented with the Nuggets, he had to include a future asset. And being that they had a plethora of young players, they felt that they could trade that first round pick and be able to not be hurt in the repercussion as much. Obviously that didn't quite turn out into anything good because a lot of Nuggets fans wanted Zach Collins, and of course, Portland ended up with Zach Collins because they had the Denver pick and were able to trade up. And Denver ended up trading back, ended up with Tyler Wyden, and they just didn't look that good, even though there was no practice time. And now you have this question of why did you do this, and in the first-round pick, and then Nuggets exploded for a month in Portland. Yeah. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong after this deal has gone wrong. So it's hard to look at it as a bad situation with at the time it made total sense you know yeah. what
0: i mean yeah it's i think it actually still makes sense the way when you look at it because like you said he was just an you was just i mean he was always talented but just the personality issues were uh, becoming a huge problem here and i think that he also didn't play that well outside of the first couple games when he was on the court he just looked kind of out of it and he didn't really he looked like he didn't want to be there and there is that story where he left he left mid game i think that that's I think that those issues may, may, um, they may wane in Portland, but I think it's also they're also still going to be there. I think that when things he's not the most mentally tough guy. I think that when things go wrong, it just it starts to weigh on him, and he starts to get in his own head. And I think that it's difficult to snap him out of it. That's
1: the key is that he's he's not mentally tough in that way, and what happens when he is not able to do the sense of force. Man struggled out the gate and he had Damian Willard from Oakland not his throat telling about it and they're just fold. Like I'm not saying that will happen, but it I'm could. just saying that in that situation I expect him to react badly, not in a positive way. Yeah. So I don't have faith that this deal in three years is going to look nearly as bad as it looks right now. Yeah. Also, I don't like Zach Collins. So I don't think that
0: that's really going to pan out into a situation that's really going to hurt Denver down the line either. Yeah, I didn't really like Zach Collins coming out of Gonzaga, and he didn't look great in summer league. I just don't see it with him. he just, he just he's going to take a while to develop into an NBA player. But what really hurt was the Donovan Mitchell trade because I think that Donovan Mitchell just – he looks like – the improvement he made from, I think, his junior year of high school when he just started playing basketball, like, full-time to – to his sophomore year of college was outstanding and he just he's such a freak athlete and he's so long and he's such a good defender and shooter I think that that's gonna hurt long term because Leiden did not look anywhere near ready to step onto an NBA court at, in summer league
1: I watched every single game that Donovan Mitchell played in the summer league. I was down there in Vegas and I could not take my eyes off watching him play because of the situation. For me, Donovan Mitchell was a guy that if he is able to become a point guard, he could be looked at as just one of the absolute most productive on both ends of the court players. He want to be one of the best players, most flashy players. But when it comes to like what he does for a team and the ability he is able to help people around him and help to thank his own defense, this is going to be absolutely unmatched. I mean, yeah. that's what sucks. And I actually asked our tour's Carter why they didn't take him, and I was like, "Is it because you have a group of guards? Does that play into it? Did you want to trade out because you just didn't want to add another dynamic guard to this unit?" We said, "Yes, we already have our guys there, and we felt that trading back and getting an asset could be beneficial." Um, I looked at the impression that the Nuggets were looking to get OG and Anobi at twenty four,
0: yeah. and
1: at twenty three, the Toronto Raptors took him. So that left Denver in a very weird situation of we traded back to get this guy and now we're stuck drafting on culture fit because we have to make a random you know, we have to make a selection. Yeah. And they ended up with Kyle Lennon who is a decent passer, he's a three-point shooter, he's a high IQ player, he's a hard worker, so he thinks all of the principles of the Nuggets, he just isn't a very good player yet. Yeah. So, it was very bad in retrospect, but if you understand it from the Nuggets perspective of what kind of went down that night, it changes the ideology of how bad things seem at the very top, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like he, uh, Connelly said at the press conference, I think you tweeted out that this is, it, that that wasn't the, what they wanted to happen. Like the draft night did not go the way they expected to. Some things fell through, and that they were really left scrambling. But I think that the well, bi- it came to fruition
1: that they were trying to get Kevin Love and Kevin Pritchard of the Indiana Pacers,
0: who going to send Paul George to Cleveland in the three-team deal. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Right. Afterwards, that because
1: the deal was already confirmed over a conference call, and sent a text and backed out of said deal. And there were multiple deals that I heard about that night of Denver getting backed out on for no fault of their own in any way. It was just a absolutely chaotic night where pretty much everything that could have stepped against the Nuggets. And they found themselves drafting based on culture later in the draft with another powerful on the roster, and not really sure what just happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was a very yeah. tough thing of at
0: that point. Yeah, I, I've heard the Ananobi story. It just looks, it. I, I get that they, they didn't get what they wanted, but it doesn't look. It still doesn't look great. I, I don't know if it's going to look better down the line. I mean, maybe Leiden turns into something, but I think that that's going to really hurt them because I, I think that. It's, it's no it's no fault of their own like you said it's just bad luck that happened but I think it's just the way it played out with getting like eight power forwards in the roster now it's just I think there's gonna be some problems that they're gonna have to work out during the season when they're trying to contend I think it's just gonna set them back a little bit yeah you're definitely not
1: wrong about that we'll see what they do about it
0: because they still have time but the
1: media day is still a month away so it's not like it's over but we'll see
0: yeah yeah, it's not, it's not completely it's not hopeless it's just it's, it's a little worrying it's like the situation it's like next year's free agency situation it's just a little it's a little worrying yeah yeah alright uh, I think that's it um, do you do you have any you have, you have anything else you want to say
1: yeah, go check out BSNDenver.com, BSN nuggets on Twitter, and then my Twitter handle at TJMcBrideNBA. I'm doing a, like, 3,000-word, 30-clip breakdown of Paul Millsap's offensive fit All right. on the Nuggets, and there's a bunch of stuff on the page down there. And then go check out the Walsh McBride radio show on Mile High Sports Radio on 1340 AM in Denver, and go listen
0: to Sean Walsh and I 2 to 4 PM Monday through Friday. It's hard about a lot of basketball, so. Yeah, also follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow. Um, follow you can follow us at The Air bt podcasts um follow me at, at nosc25 we're everywhere soundcloud soundcloud uh itunes anywhere you get your podcasts um leave a good review and we'll see you next week